This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Moore and I'm your host. Before we get into our main interview today, I did want to take just a second and tell you a little bit about the future of CXMH, what's happening, what we've got in the works, and things like that. Regular listeners may have noticed that this past week there wasn't a new episode. Part of that had to do with some hosting issues that we had with the way that we host the show and things like that. We got that all sorted out. So if a couple episodes weren't working for you previously, if you were trying to listen to them and it said something like, this episode isn't currently available or something along those lines, go back and listen. It should be all fixed now. A huge thank you to David, listener David, who sent me an email letting me know about some of those issues that were happening. Oftentimes, I only listen to the show while I'm recording and then editing, and then I just check kind of to make sure that it's working. So if later on they stop working for some reason, I don't necessarily catch that. So follow David's lead, everyone. And if there's a problem with the show on whatever podcast app you listen to, please let me know. I know that there have been some issues across various platforms, so just let me know and I can see those, uh, notice them, and try to get them fixed as quickly as I can get whatever issue it is resolved. I also want to say thank you to a couple other folks for helping out during kind of that transition, kind of that mad scramble last week trying to make sure that the show was available to people and that nothing was unavailable or or wasn't working. So huge thanks to Mike over at Blueberry, who was incredibly helpful. And then a huge shout out as well to Brad and Rudy, who are both supporters of the show on Patreon and stepped up to help cover some of the extra costs that came along with the fixes that I had to do. I know that we talk about this a decent amount in the intro, but if you would like to help make the show possible, feel free to go to cxmhpodcast.com slash support. There are great rewards on there. You can be part of a Facebook group where a lot of the guests are and we have regular conversations around these topics. There's also the chance to record a shout out and get it on the show if you have friends you want to shout out to. There's the chance to get free stickers, free mugs. Brad just got a free mug from us with the CXMH logo in the mail on Saturday and posted a picture of that. It looks pretty good. So feel free to check that out if you like the show, if you think it's worth $1 a month or $5 a month or whatever it is, uh, you can help make it possible, cover some of the costs of hosting and recording and all the, the time and energy that gets put in on the backside. So huge shout out to all those folks who helped point out things that were going wrong or helped fix them, helped make it possible. Honestly, the show wouldn't be possible without everybody, this whole community kind of chipping in and helping. So I really appreciate that. Now on to the future. I did want to kind of just check in, give you guys a little bit of an update on where we're headed. I know that we've had some phenomenal episodes so far. We've talked to some incredible people. If you haven't listened through 
some of the backlog there uh, from early 2017, I would really recommend you do that. You'll get to hear a lot of wisdom and advice and just thoughts from a lot of amazing people. We do have a pretty great slate coming up of people that are scheduled to record. I'm doing a bunch this week, for example, because I have some time off. So we have some great content coming up for you at some point in the next few weeks. If you're a regular listener of the show or you follow me on social media or anything like that, you'll know that my wife and I are expecting our first child. And so obviously I will be stepping back from some of the responsibilities of putting out a weekly show, things like that for a little bit of time, make sure my family is all right, spend time with them. But I think what we've got coming up will be just as good, maybe if not better than hearing my voice each week. I've reached out to some people that I really trust who have been on the show before, who know what they're talking about, And they've agreed to record essentially guest lectures where they will record themselves talking about a topic for a certain amount of time and send it over. And all I'll have to do is slap an intro on it, a stock intro, and then upload it. So you'll get to hear still from some incredible people around topics they're passionate about without me having to sit down and do a bunch of editing or things like that. So those will be coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, If you start hearing some of those, that means that all good things, hopefully, that my first child is here and I'm off doing that. So that will be nice and exciting. Feel free during that time to tweet at those folks and let them know how much you appreciate their guest lectures, they're stepping in, they're offering their wisdom and advice and things like that to us as a community. I'll make sure I'll be listening to those as well in whatever spare time I have, which may not be a bunch, but really good things coming up. And then after that, we have some great things coming down the pipe. So really excited. I can't share a bunch of details before things get really rolling, but big things coming up for this next season, the rest of 2018, rolling into 2019. We're doing some planning already, so make sure that you keep an eye on that, that you're following CXMH on all the various social medias, and that you're plugged in that way. If you have questions or guests that you would like to hear from, please go to cxmhpodcast.com and send us a message. One of these days, we're going to do a mailbag episode where we just answer questions from you, the listeners. So feel free to submit those. And once we get enough, we'll do that kind of episode. Please make sure to tell us that type of thing. If you have people you recommend, we always love connecting with more people who would be beneficial to hear from. So that's about all I have for this intro. I'm excited to play for you an interview I did with Rudy Caceres. He's an award-winning mental health advocate. I say his bio in the thing, so I'm not going to worry about it now. Thanks for listening to this chunk, and here is our interview. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited today to be joined by Rudy Caceres. Rudy is an award-winning public speaker, writer, and blogger who shares his story of living with bipolar and surviving suicide. He's traveled the country to work with a bunch of different organizations here. His content has been featured on places like The Mighty, This Is My Brave, Wear Your Label, again, just a plethora of places. Uh, In August 2017, he was awarded Outstanding Peer of the Year by the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And in December 2017, he was selected by The Mighty as one of their Mental Health Heroes of 2017. Uh, So that was pretty recent. So congrats on that. Rudy, how are you doing today? 
I'm doing well. Yeah. I mean, like I fully intend on exploiting that award-winning Rudy Caceres thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> people I, I, yeah. the award-winning yeah. Rudy Caceres. I am not shy about that at all. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself other than obviously the, you know, the kind of the fancy bio there, but where are you right now? You know, what are you, what are you into? Yeah, I'm from, I'm living in sunny Los Angeles, California. It's the sun is out. It's like 70 something degrees. So sorry about you on the East Coast. Super jealous. Yeah, no, I've got snow outside right now. So yeah, I'm like sweating inside of here. Um, but yeah, so I live in LA. I've, I've lived in LA pretty much my entire life and it's, 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 it's been a great experience. Um, but there's been, of course, some hard, some hardships and struggles. So I pretty much have dealt with depression and anxiety my entire life, um, from, from what I can remember as a child and it didn't quite get better as I grew up and was bullied and dealt with bad grades despite being a gifted child. Um, and then I eventually ended up in the army thinking that I was going to get out of being in this rut, being this bum. And it was just even a horrible, more horrible experience. So I ended up being hospitalized and getting a medical discharge from the army and just being completely lost in life. I attempted suicide. I was just doing nothing with my life until I started getting involved with mental health advocacy, sharing my story, something that I never wanted to do because in my mind, I was going to go back into the army or I was going to go back into acting and be like the next Jim Carrey. And I thought this mental health diagnosis would be like the thing that keeps me from being successful. And ironically enough, it's been the thing that's been pretty much um, brought me the only success in my life. <laughs> So, I mean, you mentioned it there, not really thinking this was a thing you were going to go into. And then, you know, you even said that you thought that mental health diagnosis would be something that held you back. But obviously now you're pretty successful. You're speaking about it, things like that. Well, why do you keep doing that? You know, I mean, obviously you said you kind of stumbled into it there, but what what drives you? I am not good at anything else. I... <laughs> I don't even tie my shoes. I, I, I can't do anything well. Like I, I'm bad at making coffee. And so for me, this is, it's, I do it because I'm good at it and it, it raises my self-esteem. It gives me meaning in life. And like I also always say, it beats laying around in bed all day. So, yeah. so that's, that's, that's like, that's a good enough motivation as there will be for me. Yeah. Have you found that when you do that type of thing, when you share your story more that you, that it helps you, but as you mentioned there, but that it also helps other people. I mean, do you hear from folks who say, hey, thank you for sharing, things like that? Yeah, and I, I've talked in front of high school kids, um, college students, PhDs, um, doctors, nurses. Um, I've done a, a juvenile hall. I've traveled around, and it's just – it's something that I didn't really – as much as I love that feeling when I'm on stage doing theater, um, it's just – or that uh, feeling of being like this hero, like being in the Army, all that cool stuff – there's nothing quite like having someone come to me at the end and say, uh, you inspired me to share my own story or you inspired me to go see a therapist or talk about my eating disorder, my self-harm, my depression with my family, with my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Um, that is something that it's still I can't get used to because I'm so used to to being on the other side of being just feeling hopeless and looking for some kind of hope, someone to say like, hey, it sucks, but it's worth the fighting. Yeah. For folks who might be kind of on the beginning of that, of saying, I've never talked about these things publicly, I'm not sure if that's, you know, okay, would you say that it gets easier the more that you talk about your mental health struggles? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely come from a place of privilege because I know people like if you're working a job, corporate America, or if you have um, if you're um, like have a family and kids and you don't want to um, get them in trouble or, or get them kicked out of school or lose your job. I totally get that. I know it's not as easy as just posting a blog on Facebook and all of a sudden you're famous. That's not what I'm trying to say. But for me, the more that I've done, the more vulnerability that I've shown, it has paid off in dividends. So anytime I think like, oh, this is a little bit too like gritty, it's a little bit too real, like I don't think people are going to get this, people always do get it. And it might not be how I expected it to be, but it's like I said, it's always paid off. So even though there are still times where I'm afraid, I know that it's worth it in the end. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I know that in my own writing and, and speaking and things like that, the the things that I write that I kind of sit on for a week or two and I think, ah, I'm not sure, maybe this is a little too much, too vulnerable, things like that, have always ended up getting kind of the biggest response. Uh, I know, you know, the blog post I wrote that has the most shares by like a pretty long shot, I sat on for probably a month thinking, I don't know if I can do this one. You know, this is the scariest one. It's the most vulnerable. So I think that that rings true for a lot of us. Yeah, and like the, the first story that I wrote for The Mighty, it wasn't like, it wasn't really about me at all, but I was just so afraid of putting myself out there on a bigger platform. But it's one thing to share my story on my side or on a friend's blog. It's one thing to put your story out there on like the biggest mental health storytelling platform in the whole world. And so I was really nervous about that because I thought like no one would get it or it wouldn't stand out. And then it would just like be a failure, like so many things I've failed in life. So it yeah. did pay off. And like, like you had mentioned, I was selected for one of the mental health um, heroes of 2017 by the mighty and that's just that's huge because I'm especially with the peers that I was um, nominated alongside that's just something that still blows my mind because like I like, a couple years ago I was just a complete mess yeah so tell us a bit about that because I know that you are pretty involved with the mighty I know you do some Facebook live videos some interviews things like that so tell us what do you do you know kind of day to day where can people hear you, see you, things like that? Well, uh, one thing that I've been really um, pushing forward with, I started doing Facebook Lives on my personal page. Um, well, it's public, but it's I don't have a business page. Um, so I, I started just interviewing different mental health advocates that I, I already knew, and I was just trying this out. And people uh, gravitated towards it, and people started reaching out to me, people that I didn't even know that wanted to be interviewed, to promote their book or whatever. And so on the first week of January, I finally decided that I'm going to go all in. And so I created the title, um, No Restraints with Rudy Caceres. And so I have on a different guest every Friday uh, at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. And I hope to have you on soon, Robert, because uh, I love building out my network and bringing on new people and introducing new mental health advocates to my followers. And so, and having new people like people that might follow you to come onto my page. So it's yeah. really a way of community building. I love doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd love to, we can talk a little bit more about that afterwards, but so in your, in your email that you sent me, you described a couple stories. It seems like from those that you've had kind of a, um, kind of an up and down relationship with faith, with religion, right? Things like that. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I was raised Catholic and I would go to church uh, with my family all the time. I, I used to, I, especially with my grandmother, every time where I just go like multiple times a week. 
And then I became an altar server, an altar boy. So it was before they even had the, the females, at least at my parish. And I was, I was an altar boy for five years straight. And I was, I, I was set out to be the best altar boy in the whole world. I would do like, like four or five services in one, um, one week. I would do uh, weddings. I would do confirmations and communions, so on and so forth. I was so ingrained up until around uh, junior high where I just stopped stop caring just like i guess it's that adolescent age and where you're rebelling yeah. and just i didn't really actually i got involved very 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 quickly um during 9 11 so that first sunday of the week of september 11th i came running back to church i could put on the um the altar boy um uh, clothes on again the uniform because I was just so afraid the world was going to end. And it's like, I, I I don't even care if I don't fully believe, like I better just not take the risk and make peace with God again. Yeah. And that didn't last. Uh, and then I, <laughs> <laughs> I got involved again um, when I was like 18, 19, when I just started college. And because I thought I could be a priest, a Catholic priest. And because I, I always never wanted to have a quote unquote real job in an office, in a cubicle, nine to five, and so that's why I started getting involved in theater in high school. And I wanted to be a big time actor, but I was just, uh, I was unwilling to commit to that lifestyle of rejection and heartbreak and grinding out. So I thought being a priest would be uh, the next best thing. <laughs> being that's a priest quite, is pretty much- quite the being, range of, well, I yeah. don't think I can go into acting. I guess I'll be a priest. Yeah. Well, the thing I picked after that is even more of an extreme and that didn't work out. And it was, it was actually, it was actually the year of where they were trying to like, they made this role, um, worldwide commitment in the Catholic church to recruit new, um, to new, new seminaries because of all the scandals. So I thought this is, this is perfect. This is my calling. But I also had a girlfriend at the time and she wasn't Catholic. And so it was, it, that wasn't going to work out. I can't yeah. just say like, Hey, like uh, I'm, we can be boyfriend and girlfriend, but I'm also going to be a priest. And so we can't do anything. So that didn't go over well. And then that was a short lived dream. And shortly after that, from one extreme to the other, I decided to join the army. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, so that was another extreme. And like the, the thing about the, when I was trying to become a priest, I thought I was going to be the next Pope because John Paul II had recently passed. And I thought like, oh, this is, this is the dawning of a new era. Like I'm going to be the cool Pope, the one that like, like rides around like in a Harley with like tattoos and smokes and everything, <laughs> gives everyone a high five. And that that didn't happen. I, I I remember the book of Acts where the way they described it, where everyone didn't have possessions and they just traveled around and it was total communal living. There was no possessions. And it just felt like the ideal society. And I kept thinking, like, what happened? That was yeah. the true church. That was really what Jesus intended. And we're so far behind that where we have pastors with mansions and mega churches and all that stuff. And I was like, I would even talk to priests and like say, like, hey, like why like why why are we so different from the book of acts we can't we can't possibly be what jesus intended so i was extremely overzealous you might even say now that i was that i was manic that i was delusional but at the time i was so idealistic that anything else was a compromise that i was not willing to take did, did some of that play into i mean you mentioned being an atheist for uh, some of that time kind of going back and forth did some of that play into that where you thought look this is nothing like it should have been and therefore like screw all of this well it was like if 
if it's impossible to live that lifestyle, maybe it was fake. Maybe that was not really how it happened, because yeah. if it was, then why didn't people keep living that lifestyle? Why did we deviate so far? It must be because it was impossible and it was compromised and so on and so forth. So to try to say that you're a Christian and yet you don't live as if as Jesus and the original Christians intended, there can't be any um, kind of um, validity to it all. Yeah. So you kind of give up on your dream of being a priest and you join the army and then you have some some religious experiences there in the army, right? Yeah, because I, I mean, like, atheist is too strong a word. I just prefer not to think about it. I would rather just, like, do and say whatever I want and just, like, okay, sure. well, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. But it was just, like, I was so hesitant to use the word atheist because atheist seems like there's, like, a finality to that. I was always willing to be proven wrong. But when I got into the Army, like, pretty much everyone finds Jesus in some way because you're just holding on for some kind of hope. And... Going to church on Sunday, especially in basic training, that's the only time you can get away from your drill sergeants. So I had a friend um, when I first got there, when we were in processing, um, he was a member of the LDS church. And I, 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 I never got involved with that. I knew very little. I knew some people that were involved. And I've never met a person of the LDS church that wasn't the nicest person in the world. So when I had the opportunity to um, sign up for a church on Sunday, I was like, okay, well, he's going to be there. So it can't be that bad. And so I went there and like they did the whole um, laying the hands on me, the whole like group thing. And for me, that was so needed at that time because I was ready to quit. I just needed some kind of support, some kind mm -hmm. of reassurance that I was going to make it. And I sure as heck wasn't getting that from my drill sergeants or from my peers <laughs> who were bullying me, calling me weak, calling me the worst things in the world. So that helped. Uh, and I just kind of just... I felt I felt like maybe 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 I can get I can get back into the swing of things like I probably not like LDS but there has to be some kind of hope if like if I can just find that feeling that warm fuzzy feeling that I got from that experience if I can just hold on to that maybe I'm maybe I can come back to the church and um as a full time member someday yeah. and as, even when I would talk to the um, the chaplain he was just the nicest guy in the world and just made me feel as if like as long as I can be around those kind of people as much as I can, I'm going to make it through. Um, and that was not the case. That was not the case. And it got worse, my anxiety and depression, to the point where I broke down. I had a catatonic episode um, about maybe six months in, and I was taken to the psych ward and was eventually discharged. It was an honorable discharge, but it just felt, I felt so much shame. So um, not wanting to tell anyone, and I didn't tell anyone, not even my family. I didn't tell yeah. them why I left the army. Hmm. So how long did it take you until you eventually started talking about that? I mean, shame is a, a powerful thing, as most of us know that, that work in the mental health field. But I mean, so you, you leave the army and then, I mean, what do you do? What do you tell people? I mean, how long does it take for you to start talking about those types of things? It was a very slow process because when I first got out, I wanted to die because I thought my life was over. So I did attempt suicide later that year and I just didn't want to go see a therapist. I didn't want to take any meds. Uh, I didn't want to admit that I had a mental illness. That was just the last thing I wanted to talk about, especially with my family, who I didn't think got it, even though that ran in my family. And I just 
was just, like I said, I was so ashamed. And even when I first started seeing a therapist, I was like, okay, but I'm not going to take meds. I'm not going to see a psychiatrist. Even when I first started seeing a psychiatrist, I was like, okay, but I'm not going to tell my friends. I'm not going to tell my family. And then so on and so forth. Like even when I first started getting involved in college, when I was president of my active minds chapter, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to talk about my personal story or I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let certain people know that this is what I'm doing. So yeah, it wasn't really until maybe late 2014 where I was like, okay, I'm going all in. That I mean, that sounds so similar to, I think, a lot of stories that we've heard and even my own story where it's kind of this, you know, dipping your toes into the pool and then putting a foot in and then, you know, because it is it is scary to talk openly about things that have a lot of stigma around them that most people don't understand. And so there is typically, I feel like, this process of like, maybe I'll do this bit, but not the rest, but not that. Okay, maybe I'll go to counseling, but I'm not going to tell anyone. Okay, maybe I'll tell my close friends, but not, you know, things like that. And it, I mean, it is a scary process, but I think, you know, I I would guess that you would say that you've found healing in, in all of that, that you've found yourself in a, a more healthy place. Yeah, and that's the scary thing is there's no turning back, especially now. Like you Google Rudy Caceres, you're going to find like 20, 30 things about bipolar <laughs> disorder and all this stuff and hospitalization, like all kinds of fun stuff. So like any like kind of employer or prospective girlfriend, like they're they're going to find that pretty easily. So there's no turning yeah. back. There's no hiding anymore. So I have to go all in. I have to just um, push push forward as much as I can. I'm a mental health advocate, and that's. And it sounds it, it sounds like I'm being hard, but that's all I'm ever going to be. But that's all I want to be. That's that's like what I have to be. That's my calling. And so like, there is no turning back and I wouldn't want it any other way. I this is funny. I do think about that like pretty often. I think, what if I decided to do something else? And I think, oh, I don't know, like there's not really a way of erasing things off the internet. Like I have stuff on tons of websites that I've written and, and podcast interviews and think like there's no way of getting all that back, you know? Yeah, yeah, and like I, like I had said, like I'm I've never wanted to be um, in a standard nine to five job office. Like when I was in the military, I was doing intelligence work, thinking I was going to do all this top secret James Bond type stuff. But it was just like <laughs> working on like PowerPoint ninety two, like slowest computers, trying to read a million different symbols on a map. Um, and so I, but I wanted to escape that. And and the thing is, people might say like, oh, you're so privileged, you're so baby, and all stuff. Like, why can't you just suck it up and get a real job? That has been the number one reason for my uh, mental health struggles, my anxiety, depression, even mania and uh, the, um, the catatonic episodes is because I've been, you can say it, I'm, I'm okay with saying that I've been so stubborn of not wanting to fall in line and work within the boundaries of what makes a typical, successful, well-adjusted person in American society. Yeah. So throughout that process, were there things that you found to where you find yourself, you know, in a healthier place mentally, obviously finding a job that isn't a nine to five. But I mean, what is your self care like? Do, as the, do you have a community around you that you talk to, uh, not just online, but you know, people that you talk to individually? Or do you take better care of yourself? Or I mean, what's the what's the difference between where you were and how you got to where you are now? Well, one of the biggest things was that I was finally able to get my VA disability from my time in the army. And like I got out in October, uh, October 16th of 2009, and I didn't get my disability um, until November 1st of 2015. So that's a long time of just like struggling, having no money, begging, relying on other people, and not feeling like an independent individual. 
And so when that happened, I was finally able to move out on my own, buy a new car, take care of myself. And it, it was weird because when, I, when that happened, I was more depressed ever in my life. Like I spent over $80,000 in two months and people thought I was super manic, wow. but I had never been more depressed in my entire life because I yeah. spent Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's alone in bed, not wanting, not being around anyone because everyone was with their families and I was estranged from my family. So it was a hard transition, but I'm glad I did it. So now I'm able to travel. I'm able to, to, um, to devote uh, myself full time to mental health advocacy. So I can go drive like 40 miles to the, to the mighty office, do the Facebook lives there, um, and do all these other things and just, um, really devote myself. So I get it when people have, um, have bills to pay and like have kids, have a wife, and they can't do this full time. But the fact that I have this privilege, I want to take advantage of it and make the best of it as much as I can. I could just lay in bed all day and just collect a paycheck, but that gets old after a while, trust me. So the fact that I have that freedom um, means that I can do all these things. And the fact that I could just lay around all day, having that freedom actually gives me, um, actually motivates me to do things with my life, which is like kind of weird to say or try to kind of weird to understand, but it does work out for me. <laughs> yeah. So what about, I mean, how do you balance? Because when, when people start talking about mental health, you know, oftentimes people look at mental health advocates like me or like you or, you know, many of the people that we know and think, oh, they must have it all together. They must have found some some way out of all of this just to be, they're completely fine. But we know that that's not true. We we hear mental health advocates all the time that are struggling that, you know, end up with some tragic things. So how do you balance taking care of yourself with being so vulnerable and talking so openly? Because that is, you know, that opens up to a lot of people messaging you asking for things or, you know, that opens yourself up to a lot of things. How do you balance those? Yeah. And then, and I've seen some of the, um, this, um, the um, worst case scenarios, like the person who gave me my first big break was Amy Bluel, Project Semicolon, and being around her and seeing um, someone so successful, someone who touches so many people, yet see her struggle and um, God rest her soul. Like uh, the way it turned out in the end, it was just mm. it got me it got me in the mindset that just because you have all the success that you reach so many people, you still have to take care of yourself. The success yeah. doesn't take care of you. The money doesn't take care of you. You can have all that stuff and still um, be struggling to the point where, like me, I was recently, I was having suicidal thoughts and you would think that like, like winning the awards and stuff, that, that would I would be just on top of the moon, but there's always going to be something that's going to trigger that depression, that suicidality, that anxiety. I can't just ever get rid of that. The good stuff is great, but that's a bonus, but I still am always going to be struggling in some way. Yeah, so what do you do? I mean, are there practical things in your life that you do when something like that happens? I mean, take some time off or, you know, spend time with family. I mean, what do you, what do, you do when, when things like that come up yeah i mean you know i like to go for long drives and that's another thing that like makes me sound privileged but <laughs> i love going around the coast i i am if, if i'm indoors all day say there's no facebook live say there's no speech or anything like that i have to get it out at least once a day so i'll go for a long drive i'm talking about like an hour just around the coast just mm. like play my music and sing at the top of my lungs yeah. that feels so good because like i'm in my little bubble and i don't have to worry about anyone else like calling me or touching me or any of that stuff. I got to have that self, um, that alone time. 
that's very huge for me. And that's like, that's been detrimental to friendships, to relationships, but it's something that I insist upon. Like I'm real, um, some people might not get it, but I am really am a hardcore introvert. So even though I, I am, I'm out there, I'm doing all this stuff in front of the camera, giving these speeches, it wears me out so much. Yeah. When I go for a conference for like four or five days, I can guarantee you the next four or five days, I will just be out of it and not want to go out anywhere. Yeah. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind. I mean, we talked a bit earlier about feeling spiritual and then not feeling and things like that. Where do you find yourself today? I'm, I'm definitely a lot more spiritual. So I got involved with actually two churches, um, but one more regularly that's close to where I live and actually have allowed me to do storytelling events there. I'll, do, I'll be doing one in February um, before Valentine's Day. And so that's been a great thing. They're very progressive. They're like the least like non-judgmental, non like hellfire and all that stuff. Things you think about like stereotypical church. It's an, it's inside of an urban garden. It's like so earthly. It's like, it's actually pretty close to the book of Acts. Um, hmm. So I love that. And another, another time I was given a presentation, sharing my story. And after I was done, um, someone approached me as this woman who was saying uh, good things. And then she started talking about this musical called Avenue Q. And I, I know that show and I know it's like hard R rated show. And it just blew my mind that this, 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 this nice lady, um, the wonderful person was talking about this show. And I was thinking like, <laughs> Oh my God, like if she likes this, if she likes this kind of humor and this kind of entertainment, then she, like her church must be cool. There's gotta be something <laughs> there. So I went there and she's been great. She's been very supportive. Like I still meet with her one-on-one -on -one all the time. And so those kind of things, like I, I like to say that for me at this point, it, I don't care about so much really the dogma or how, how much you follow the Bible to the letter of the law and all this stuff. For me, it's just being around cool people who just happen to be really into Jesus and the Bible and God and being able to share um, that experience, that community. And I know this is going to sound very weird and maybe even sacrilege, <laughs> but I, I, I tell people that I don't believe in God, but I choose to believe in God anyway. Hmm. What do you mean? Like, I, like for me, it doesn't really matter if there's a God or not, especially if there's an old man in the cloud and all that stuff. It's the fact that believing in God does make me feel better and it makes other people feel better. And we have that um, unifying experience uh, that brings us together and creates good in the world. So even like, obviously like we can't like see God and we can't like, we can't like proof. Someone asks us for proof. It's not like we can just pull God out of the clouds, but the fact that we can, um, we can demonstrate the, the lessons that we learn from God, from the Bible, in real world, practically, in our communities, all the work we do online, and so on and so forth. That, to me, is really what is important to me. So the fact that there may never be a time where, where God descends from the clouds or all that stuff, the rapture and all that stuff, that is besides the point. Yeah. So it sounds like it's more about community and d improving the world and things like that than necessarily specific doctrine or, or things like that. Yeah, yeah, or, or just like being so um, so rigid on what God is um, and like what, what are his features, like what race he is, male or female, all this stuff. And it's just like that's, that's, that's not the conversation I'm into having. I'm about me doing what I can 
to um, to live out those teachings in a way that's not like super judgmental, super holier than now, super like, oh, like we're doing good things for you, but the real intention is to get you to convert. Like that's that's not my my jam. Sure. So what's next for you? I mean, you've got a couple, you know, you've got the Facebook Live things going, you're working with the Mighty, you're working with some other organizations, but I mean, if you could do anything in the year of 2018, what are your kind of hopes and dreams? Well, I'd love to do keynotes at conferences and I've done, I've done, I've done one before and I've done a couple of others where I've been like on like the opening act, I guess, but I'd love to, I'd love to demonstrate what I have to offer and I believe I'm at that level. I, I don't. I used to have this imposter syndrome where people would give me opportunities, and I'd say yes to them, but I was just like thinking, like, oh, like I'm just gonna get there and embarrass myself. But now <laughs> I just feel I feel so ready and prepared that I just want to just keep moving forward with sharing my story because as great as it is to do the Facebook lives, to do the blogs, I love being on stage in front of people and just rocking that stage and just getting that feedback. Before, during, and after. I live for that. Kind of uh, harking back to your theater days. Yeah, I mean, like, that's like, still, like, like, in the same vein of being a priest, or even the same vein of being a soldier, because I would give these presentations to the company, to the commanders, and it was, I basically was following a script, and, like, that was, like, the way I try to rationalize it in my head, like, well, okay, well, it's not quite theater, but there are elements that I can, like, use, like, my strengths to make sure I'm doing what I, like, the best I can in this role. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's 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 definitely. I feel as if theater, especially, has prepared me to be the best public speaker that I can be. Hmm. That's interesting. There's a lot of parallels there that maybe we don't think about too often, but uh, definitely there. Yeah, and I and I definitely, even if it doesn't happen this year, one of my like major goals for like the next few years is to do a one man theatrical show in a in a real theater. Hmm. There you go. What would it What would it be about? About me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> Is your life story or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I made this um, um, blog in The Mighty about, like, if I ever um, had my life story um, told that I'd want to call it Working the Poles. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, don't steal that, anyone. Uh, patent pending. <laughs> Trademark. Yes. Awesome. Well, hey, if you want to connect with Rudy, you can find him on his website, RudyCaceres.com. You can find him at Facebook.com slash RudyCaceres or on Twitter at RudyCaceres. There'll be links to all that in the show notes. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at Robert-Vore.com or on social media at Robert Vore. Rudy, do you have any closing words today for listeners who might be going through, maybe in the some thinking back to the earlier parts of your life that were really hard, you know, kind of some of the worst times to anyone going through something like that today. Do you have any closing words? Yeah. Um, before I forget, um, th thank you for mentioning RudyCaceres.com because I finally did update that. So all of the episodes to no restraints with Rudy Caceres, all the interviews are on there. Um, so you can check that out and I'll be launching on iTunes soon as well. Um, audio version. And I'm also on Instagram at Rudy Caceres, same as on Twitter. And so um, can you repeat the question again, please? Yeah, no, just if anybody's going through uh, kind of the, the darker times, really struggling with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts or things like that, what would you say to them? To honor your feelings that just because you're having depression, just because you're having suicidal thoughts doesn't make you the bad person, doesn't mean that you're the broken person, that you can never do good in your life. 
that it's still possible to have depression, to have anxiety, to have suicidal thoughts, and to not be cured of all that stuff, but still live your best life. It might not be the life that you imagine. It might not be the life that other people are trying to insist upon you. Insist upon yourself and refuse to be denied what you want to do in life. Be the best at it. So even people who discounted you, who said you couldn't do it, wouldn't give you opportunities, be so good at that, that no one can turn you away. No one can deny you and pretend like you don't exist. Hmm. Good words, good words. Rudy, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Well, thank you so much for having me on. God bless. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.